0: Welcome to the Reserve, a news and thoughts podcast from the Central Verse. I'm your host, Caleb Nygaard. Today is episode number 18. I'm excited to have Stephen Kelly back on the episode today. Welcome back, Stephen. Thanks, Caleb. So Randy Quarles' term as vice chair of supervision ended in October, and he's announced that he's going to leave the Fed at the end of the year. Uh, his his term at the at the FSB also just ended. Uh, I believe last week. Uh, and so he uh, we're still waiting to hear uh, who Biden will announce as the replacement uh, since Brainerd picked the general Fed vice Chair role. Uh, but while we wait, uh, we wanted to take a take a, a moment this week to talk about a speech, the, the farewell speech that Quarles gave uh, last week with the delicious title "Between the Hither and the Farther Shore which um, I, even when I finish the speech, I actually am not positive I get the joke or get, the, get what that reference is. Um, but uh, it basically, he kind of defends his, it's kind of got two parts. He defends the, uh, the actions that he took, um, which have been in the news a lot. Um, he calls them more simple, more efficient, and more transparent, his actions regarding supervision and regulation of the financial system as pertains to the Fed and interna- the international uh, groups that he's part of. Um, and, and then you know, I, I do have to sh- want to shout out, he uses a, fun, a couple of fun new words that I learned, including kibitzer, which I had to Google, which means uh, one who looks on and often offers unwanted advice or comment, which I am uh, tucking this uh, word into my back pocket for our next road trip uh, <clears throat> to a certain backseat driver. Um, okay, so he talks about a lot of stuff, uh, and I'm going to list them, uh, even though there's kind of a lot, just uh, to encourage people to actually go back and, and, and read the speech or, or listen to it. Uh, he covers a lot of ground and I think provides a lot of room for interesting discussion. Everything from the, general, the Fed's general framework for supervision and regulation divisions to leverage ratios, Basel III implementations, stress tests, cross-border resolutions, uh, general transparency in supervision, he talks about digital assets, and he talks about the future of the uh, uh, the FSB, that that international committee that he that he chaired. But we Stephen and I are going to come on today to talk about uh, one of the last sections, which was about emergency lending facilities. And he basically outlines that he 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 sets it up as saying I I supported everything that we did in 2020 in response to the pandemic, uh, and at the time, and I still am glad we did those actions he says but i have concerns about possible precedents that this set and he sets it up by by talking about that he kind of divides the fed's actions emergency actions into two groups into liquidity what he calls liquidity facilities and what he calls credit facilities and this is where we're going to start steven so you know he goes into a long definition defining what he means by liquidity and credit facility and why he thinks it's important that those uh types of facilities be uh be treated differently i just wanted to start there do you think that that's an appropriate uh division and uh uh and and, and does it make sense
1: yeah 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 i mean i mean i'm not sure i mean to to everybody but like six people in the world those words kind of mean the same thing right yeah um but it's an interesting distinction. And, and there's no way to really talk about this without uh, mentioning Lev Ann's paper, uh, Unappropriated Dollars. It's a great paper. Uh, I don't agree with all of it and still think it's a fantastic paper. Everyone should read it. And Caleb, you can put it in the show notes. Uh, but this was the first paper, as, as I recall, this was the first place that this liquidity versus credit facility distinction really came into play. And, and just to back up for a second, I mean, Quarles really defines... These liquidity facilities as sort of the short-term um, wholesale funding markets, stuff to support dealers, stuff stuff to support the commercial paper market, money market funds, uh, which which he delineates from these these credit facilities, uh, under which he categorizes things like the municipal lending, uh, municipal liquidity facility, the uh, Main Street lending program, stuff that was longer term, the corporate bond program. Lots uh, some longer-term assets, intervened in areas the Fed typically hasn't. Uh, and so he kind of makes this distinction. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of think it's useful as a, as a way to kind of think about these and, and how to design these facilities. Uh, one thing that's a bit bizarre with him sort of adopting Lev's uh, sort of nomenclature here is that... As Lev kind of points out in his paper, the specific law, as amended by Dodd Frank, Section thirteen three requires now that all emergency lending is done for the purposes of providing liquidity to the financial system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so Lev kind of takes that the next step and says, okay, these these credit facilities don't fit that well um, under you know with that language. They're, they're sort of disingenuous towards that language. And whether or not you agree with that, and and I'm not sure that I do. I mean, I think we can talk about these uh, muni facilities and corporate bond facilities as providing liquidity to the financial system. But whether or not you agree with it, if the Fed wants to do it, they have to at least advertise them that way, right? I mean, they have to say, (laughs) oh yes, this fits with the law. We're providing liquidity to the financial system. They can't go out and say, well, some of our facilities were liquidity facilities and some of them were not, yeah. Because um, that 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 very clearly puts it in, in tension uh, with the law. And I, I remember making a joke because they even changed. There was the uh, liquidity facility that supported the Paycheck Protection Program loans. That basically took them off the balance sheet of banks, and they they literally changed the name of it from Paycheck Protection Program lending facility to Paycheck Protection Program liquidity facility. And, <laughs> I, and I was kind of thinking, oh, they're you know they're staying in the spirit of the law, but. So for him to come out and make this speech, which, you know, kind of the plain reading of it puts these facilities in tension with the law and sort of undermines uh, some of the things they did, even though he says very, very clearly that he's not trying to. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was a little concerning. So I mean, liquidity versus credit credit words are are fine for thinking about different facilities, um, but to the extent he's saying some of these facilities were not liquidity facilities. Uh, I think is a little dangerous.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's an interesting degree within this speech of, and, and I will say that this section, in compared to all of the other sections that I kind of listed up at the top about Quarles' speech, all of the other sections seemed very... Uh, Rational and uh, defensible Mm. positions that Quarles has 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 Mm. taken and actions that he's done Um, debatable, obviously, and there has been a lot of public debate, which has been great. I think, you know, this has gotten a lot of attention in the last Mm. six months or so, which has been really good, but this section seemed very different and it didn't quite feel uh, quite like that so in general. Uh, and I'm using this as a transition to talk about these six suggestions that, uh, that that Quarles makes, and we're gonna go through them one by one. But before we kind of go into them one by one about how emergency lending should look like in the future in facilities like these these credit facilities, there are these undertones of, uh, of democracy and politicization of the Fed and, the relationship between, uh, quote unquote, the people, the Congress and the Fed and how who's responsible for for what and who should be doing what actions. And so, you know, he has these critiques uh, and and he's trying to kind of have it both ways in that he he says he's glad the Fed did what they should do. But they should only do this if exactly the same situation uh, turns <laughs> up again. That anything slightly different, uh, the Fed is going to be in 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 dangerous territory. Um, so, so should we should we jump into these to these six suggestions? Or anything yeah, else let's do it. In the setup that you, that you want to frame before we talk about the specifics. No, let's do it. Okay. So, the first one. Uh, so, so he basically says that he suggests that the actions of these credit facilities that, that Stephen just set up perfectly in the future, sh- it's okay if they start at the Fed because there is a he, he admits that there's a certain degree of, of expediency uh, that the Fed has, uh, but very quickly, Congress should get involved and Congress should create a, a other f- new facilities that are off the Fed's balance sheet, so on the on the fiscal side, uh, that should take over these uh, these these credit facilities. And in doing this, uh, he lays out uh, what he you know he lays out these six arguments basically. He calls them measure these measures these six measures, and he thinks that it would give them an advantage in these big print picture principle things like democracy and uh, political accountability, he thinks that these will help. So we're gonna kind of go through these uh, one by one and I'm gonna, uh, I won't do this on all of them, but I'm gonna read, uh, read, read them as we go through. So this is the first one. Uh, he says, a separate entity can be expressly stated to be an emergency vehicle with a limited life and it can be legally required to extend credit for a short specified period and then be wound down. All right, let's start there.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of found this bizarre. I mean, I think at least the first four sort of already exist, and we can talk about it as we go through. But uh, a separate entity that is expressly stated to have a mid, uh, limited life, I mean, the Fed has to vote on unusual and exigent circumstances. Uh, so, I, I, you know, it's not clear to me if he's talking about the asset management that goes on after the fact. Um, and even so, I think the Fed has demonstrated that it's not trying to be in this business. Um, it wound down, it's, you know, it's sold off its corporate bond portfolio uh, already this year. You know, it, it holds no more corporate bonds from its interventions in 2020. Uh, so, I, I mean, this just strikes me as a, as, a, as a bullet point that sounds nice, but isn't really an issue. Um, the Fed is, our Regulation A guides the Fed, uh, you know, to, to sort of set these things up in a way that discourages their use outside of crisis time. Um, so he, to me, it seems like he's sort of conflating the Fed's period of intervention with uh, the assets themselves, which seems rather arbitrary. I mean, the Fed's, the Fed's uh, maiden lane facilities with, with Bear Stearns, The main lane facility Bear Stearns lasted several years after 2008 um, was only officially wound down in 2018. I mean, that's 10 years later. But that was I mean, that was an overnight operation. Right. I mean,
0: uh,
1: so, yeah, he seems to be mixing up up things here.
0: Yeah. And I'll and I'll and I'll add, I guess, one other point in uh, in. In the kind of big picture, and I think it applies particularly well to here. I think he kind of sets aside. So you already mentioned that that these three facilities, uh, particularly post um, amendments from Dodd-Frank, require require votes and re- require that. So it also requires explicit sign-off from the Secretary of mm-hmm. the Treasury. And so, you know, that's another thing to keep in mind in in thinking about these is that 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 degree of you know, unaccountability or undemocratic uh, in, in any of these, of any 133 facility is, is significantly less given that, you know, in, in, the, in the GFC, it was basically the, the Fed kind of did it, uh, mostly did it anyways, and then Dodd-Frank made it required. And so now we're at today where, where these emergency lending facilities do have to have buy-in At from the very, from the very beginning from a, you know, from somebody within the administration, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, and and the thing. So that's so that's okay So that's number one. Let's move on to number two. Uh, He says providing credit support through a separate vehicle establishes a clear division between fiscal measures and monetary policy.
1: Again, <laughs> strikes me as very bizarre. I mean, yeah. the, the Fed is under limits on how it can lend. It has to be secured to its satisfaction. It, it, it could not have been more clear in the last two years that it cannot engage in grant making legally, uh, which you know, is kind of how you'd think about fiscal policy. Uh, it was founded as a lender of last resort, uh, which, which means you know, lending against good, any good collateral in a crisis. Uh so, uh, again, I, I don't see anything that they did being particularly fiscal. I mean, it's, it's, it's an annoying job of the Fed, uh, of central banks in general, but it's a job of central banks in general to say, yes, like, you know, our balance sheet is several trillion dollars, but that doesn't mean we can just like buy up student debt and retire it. Like, you know, like it's yeah, just the central no. bank's job to explain that. Yep. And this this just seems like his way of getting out of that. Um, yeah, but but that's always going to be attention.
0: Right. Yeah. Powell came. And in fact, all of I remember, you know, in the in the heat of, of, of COVID, <laughs> Powell over and over again saying we, uh, you know, we lend, we don't spend. Right. Like that was kind of one of the. It- that was one of the catchphrases that that they continue to use. and so that there's a degree of that uh, of the fed being very clear in their communication that that they they weren't jumping into those lines. but i think and I, and I and i want to get your thoughts on this as well. i think there's a degree of of just just inappropriate oversimplistic over when these Kind of statements, especially when it's just a one sentence saying we need a division between fiscal and monetary, as if there is as this as if this, this is a Venn diagram with zero overlap between those two, and even in normal times there's a, a quite a degree of overlap, but in a crisis those lines get get really blurry, and it seems like this this throwaway statement of saying that we need to have have that uh, division becomes just not only unhelpful but but actually might be harmful in in the way that that things are being viewed i don't know what do you agree with that disagree with that what do you
1: yeah yeah it's always it's always kind of had this it's always seemed rather arbitrary where critics will draw the line with oh this is becoming fiscal um you know even in even in what they would call the heyday of uh central banking. I mean, the, the Fed was always intervening in the treasury market. I mean, how is that not fiscal? You know, like it, it could always, you can always sort of draw the line. Um, so really where the Fed sits on the assets curve, uh, it, it, it isn't a clear way to decide what all oh, what's fiscal, what's monetary policy. I mean, you have to judge by outcomes and you have to judge by the legal framework. Uh, and I don't see them being in violation uh, on either of those fronts of, of really running into monetary financing or, you know, s- some sort of fiscal, um, fiscal measures.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Uh, okay. So let's move on to, to number three. And this is, this is, a, this is a fun, one. I'm, I'm sure you've got thoughts on this one. This one is basic. This one's kind of the longest, the longest point here, but is his, so I, I won't read it uh, verbatim, but basically he's saying, uh, the, uh, the, the penalty rate, he talks about the penalty rate, and how the Fed is under kind of a, a, an obligation to is what he says an obligation to, to charge a penalty rate on on these facilities that it does. And that if uh, the Congress was to create a facility outside of the Fed to take over, that the terms could be could be different. And he's saying that almost like, you know, that the, the, a Congress created facility could mm-hmm. be more helpful, because it doesn't have that Restriction. So maybe mm-hmm. I guess kind of fact check that, and then to which you agree or or disagree with his framing.
1: Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts. Um, I, I would say first of all, there's a reading of this that is just uh, some sort of lofty hopefulness of the the of Congress putting something together in crisis time, which, in fairness, they did in COVID with the Paycheck Protection Program, right? I mean, that was. Fully subsidized lending, really, um and he's kind of talking about uh, basically a, a subsidized rate. And and you know, I'm going to get to the penalty rate piece in a second. But yeah, th- there's also this is also a little bit of tension with with uh, his point about wanting a facility to have a limited life. I mean, part of what he encourages a limited life for a for a lending facility is you know a, a penalty rate. Uh, so. There are ways to do that, and and not that I think a penalty rate is necessary uh, yeah. to encourage limited life. Like I said, the Fed just closes its facilities. It just says, "Okay, the crisis is past. Like, yeah. uh, no more facility." So uh, there are ways to do this, uh, but yeah, this just seems like him to, kind of hoping for a government like like a like a Reconstruction Finance Corporation type of thing, uh, which is a fine thing to ask for. Um, it's weird that he kind of frames it as a one or the other um, like, oh, the Congress should do this and the fed has no role here. Um, mm. You know, if, if, if you want really subsidized lending uh, fine and Congress, yeah, has to do that. It, it, if it's goes beyond the way the fed can do it. Um, yeah. You know, then so be it. Uh, they, the, you can hope for that and you can have them push legislation, but that doesn't, that shouldn't have any bearing on the fed. You know, the fed, it always kind of uh, makes me uncomfortable when folks frame the Fed's crisis response sort of uh, as a reflection of of what Congress is doing. Uh, you know, really, really, Feds, the Feds, and, and that's true on monetary policy things like that. But the Fed kind of has its solutions, and it can look to Congress thereafter. But the solutions should stay the same. So, kind of like what I'm thinking of is, for instance, these facilities, uh, which they used some congressional funding for these credit facilities uh, in the event, um, You know, and then there it became a political you know kind of lightning rod and and it got outlawed it to me outlawed basically the the Fed creating these exact same facilities in the exact same way. Um, but that shouldn't really change the Fed's crisis response, right? I mean, it, if it wants to set up the facilities, it should say, okay, we're going to set up the facilities uh, or set up these credit-like facilities. It goes to the treasury and says, Hey, can you give us money for this or does the law preclude it? Uh, and if it does, then, then the Fed can find some other way to get that money um, or do that lending. Uh, it, 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 sometimes it can, it can alter its, its rate, which, Uh, And it uh, actually capitalizes these facilities, but it did some creative things in 2008 where it basically got private funding for the equity layer. Um, So point being, uh, it's weird to to suggest that the Fed should should sort of depend on Congress in a crisis. Um, I mean, we all do, but it shouldn't it shouldn't necessarily affect uh, the Fed's willingness to act. It shouldn't Mm -hmm. wait for signs from Congress. I guess what I'm trying to say. Uh, And then just quickly on the penalty rate. Yeah. Uh, The Fed does not have to charge a penalty rate. It has that language uh, in Regulation A, but it also has flexibility around it. So uh, just quickly, I've got the I've got the board minutes up from July to December 2008. And back then, the the um, penalty rate language did not exist specifically. But what what Regulation A said was that emergency lending had to be done uh, at a rate above the highest rate available to banks. And what happened instead was uh, the the Fed did a bunch of lending at the primary credit rate, which was the lowest credit rate available to banks. So I'm looking at the the board minutes. Um, For instance, here is the uh, uh, AMLF facility. And it says uh, the board approved the recommendation of the Boston Reserve Bank that credit be extended at the primary credit rate. So that is skipping the Reg A requirement for how steep the rate should be. Um, if you go through these, there, there's a, there's a number of situations uh, where they say exactly this: that you know, the, the board approved the the New York Fed suggestion to lend at the primary credit rate. The board approved the Chicago Fed's uh, suggestion to lend at the primary credit. So they're, I mean, they're yeah. ignoring the Reg A requirement for how steep the rate should be, left and right. The Fed has the authority to do this um, if it thinks it's appropriate. So for him to explicitly say, "Oh, the Fed has to charge a penalty rate," um, and this is why we should we should push this funding elsewhere, uh, is it, just incorrect.
0: Yeah, and oh man, that's so good. I think that and that is so important. And I'd be remiss if I if I didn't just take us on a sidetrack for just a second. Uh, to uh, spend a little bit, uh, uh, a few moments in badget land, and just remind people that that Badgett's dictum is often quoted as being, you know, as, as being a couple of things, as being, you know, that it is, you know, you lend for in a crisis, you lend freely against good collateral at a penalty rate to solvent institutions. That is often what is quoted as being as being what Badgett's dictum is, and this that's you know, so that that language that has a has a very very long history. And it's just important every once in a while to pause and take a look at what actually Badgett did in in Lombard Street. And if we go through those real quick, um, you know, the lend freely is what like 90% of the book is about, right? And there are beautiful passages just over and over and over and over again, in different ways of telling it is lend freely, lend freely. The against good collateral is that is a next smaller portion, uh, but there is some stuff about collateral. But even there, the what collateral meant under the, you know, real bills world of 1880 financial system in, in, in the UK is a little bit different than it is, it is today, to say the least. The penalty rate portion is, is literally one line, is one, one phrase. Uh, and then the solvency part isn't part of, of, of Badgett's, of Badgett's dictum. And so, you know, like that is, there's this, these undertones and this, this, you know, it's ca- it's been called Badgett's law. Uh, it's, you know, this, this thing as if this, this, this golden, uh, you know, rule of, of central banking and it just pervades everything uh, in, in central banking. And you even see it in this speech, although not called out. Explicitly, and so uh, I just I had to get on the little the little rant there. About
1: that. And even the penalty rate at in Badgett's telling wasn't for moral hazard purposes. I mean, this is how yep. it, how it's often described. Um, and one, that's a mischaracterization of Badgett. And two, it's not always necessary, right? I mean, a, a, and part of this is just the way that facilities get rolled out in a crisis. Um, especially new ones that that um, are administratively difficult. Which is that they're sort of they're sort of rolled out in a very strict way. You know, like six people are eligible for it, yeah. uh, and then a month goes by, and the Fed says, "You know what? This is a little strict. We're going to cut the rate, or we're going to we're going to widen the counterparties." Which ideally you'd want the reverse, right? You'd want the the one that comes out in the, at the very beginning of the crisis to be the most liberal, the most yep. accepting, the yep. most generous. And then as time goes by, you'd kick up the penalty rate and you'd narrow, you'd narrow the counterparties. And this would be kind of how you, you you get out of the market. Um, But so, I mean, there are other point being, there are other ways to, to sort of limit the term, to discourage use uh, of a facility without this penalty rate, you know, without saying, Oh, we need to, we need to invoke moral hazard and, and charge a penalty rate and stigmatize this there are ways to, to get out of the market other ways. I mean, you can basically just say we're done, you know, <laughs> we're doing this for six months by, yeah. um, yeah. it doesn't matter what rate you charge then. Like no, one's going to view that as longer than short term. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Uh, so that was a huge point. I think a big, a big mischaracterization here by quarrels. Um, all right, let's, let's go to number, number four. He says, uh, this comes back to some of his other points that he's made in regards to his work of improving supervision, transparency in general at the Fed. But he he says in point four that the separate incorporation and funding of a separate vehicle would give transparency and clear boundaries to the degree of government financial support being provided to the economy. I mean, I don't know. Do you have much to add to that one? That one's it's similar to the to the point about fiscal and monetary. I guess here he's just saying, I guess, so that Congress people can... Have an easier time putting a sticker price on on economic support. I don't know what he's going. Yeah, through. yeah,
1: I don't get this one at all. I mean, part of what Dodd Frank did too was make thirteen three way more transparent, arguably too transparent. Yep, yep. Um. You know, the, the first thing I did when the when like the Main Street lending data and stuff came out was like go Google my hometown. You know, see who like see who borrowed and. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, th- there's there's cost to that. Oh, here's the list of businesses that said they can't obtain credit elsewhere. Like, yeah. you know, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, and 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 in fairness, the Fed has has delayed the the short term stuff disclosure of the short term stuff as long as, as long as they can. But even that, it's going to be we're going to find all those out in March, because yeah. uh, it's a, it's a year after due to Dodd Frank, it's a year after the facilities closed that, that that stuff has to become public. Yeah. Um, so transparency seems fine. Um, And, and they, when the Fed sets up these SPVs, you know, that kind of gives the separate incorporation that he's looking for. Um, I I don't know, I don't don't see anything to be gained um, from from this one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I, we we won't need to go into detail, but there were some awesome discussions about this, um, and 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 important debates that happened around this discussion of of transparency in these emergency facilities, particularly around the the discount window. There were some lawsuits mm-hmm. from some from from news organizations wanting discount window data uh, mm-hmm. post crisis, and yeah, there are some pretty perverse incentive or there's an it's a it's an interesting balancing act as a as a policymaker wanting there to be kind of public accountability and transparency with balancing the you know what can be just truly detrimental to the you know truly handcuffing uh, to the government speaking as a whole both fiscal and monetary uh, just is kind of self hand, handcuffing on 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 limiting yourself on how powerful your emergency facilities can be. You know, mm-hmm. these, these, and I guess it's uh, worth mentioning maybe in, in passing that, that these facilities are almost always, in fact, actually, I guess, I think they are always voluntary. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, the, the incentives that you're setting up when you're designing these programs is you, you want the system to, uh there are these these negative externalities and you you want a the, the system the, the government that is or the central bank that is setting up these facilities you want them to have the flexibility to create a, a facility that's going to have the biggest economic punch um, mm. particularly early early on so those are important yeah so okay so that's the so point number four anything else on on point number four? Nope okay so point number five uh, so here again, takes a little bit of a step back into philosophy, but he says, placing the inherently political decisions around the allocation of credit into separately governed entity will keep the Fed from being fundamentally transformed by efforts to politicize the credit granting mechanism. And I will at this uh, say that in his, his, his intro here, he lists some of the things that he's, he <laughs> would be nervous about. Uh, about the Fed being turned into, that the Fed could, because of the precedent set here, that the Fed could be turned, could be asked to fund the building of the border wall. They could be asked to fund a green a trillion, I think he said trillions of dollars of, of green en- energy funding uh, to colonize Mars. <laughs> he he kind of really goes off on the, on, on the, the dangerous political nature of, of credit allocation. What, what, do you, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I don't know if Mars has enough collateral, but that would, <laughs> that would, that would be interesting. Um, I, I, I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this as well. But I'll just say quickly. I mean, this kind of goes back again to the fiscal monetary thing. Um, but I, I just want to say one quick thing, which is that doing nothing is not apolitical, right? I mean, Absolutely. if the Fed if the Fed yep. has legal authority to intervene and it's not doing that for fear of you know what it the the areas that it might traverse um, in exercising that power, that is very political and arguably, like, I, I would say arguably worse. I mean, if you're not using legal authority versus yeah. using your legal authority and kind of maybe not getting it right around the edges, like, oh, you yeah. you bought a little too much of this or a little not enough of that. Um, you could have lent to this person and didn't that's that we can split hairs all day. but yep. to, to fundamentally ignore, crisis time authority is just unbelievably irresponsible.
0: Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. And, and you know, it kind of comes back to this uh, uh, hierarchy of goals of a central bank. And at the very top for the Fed is uh, in, in in equal measure, I guess, legally, although it can be debated, uh, price stability and maximums employment. Um, and, you know, these to these two measures, these two goals, uh, in a crisis, are both just collapsing. And so, you know, my view of the appropriate degree of of reaction is that the Fed should absolutely push the boundaries as far as they can in accomplishing, those two goals and these emergency facilities are one of the tools that they have to uh to to fight or to you know to to achieve those two goals and in a crisis it's really important that they go as hard and as 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 liberal as they possibly can and then i think and, and and i'm talking actually about not just like economic efficiency which i think many people would agree with although then they would say that it might be okay economically it might be efficient economically, but it's, but it's undemocratic or, or um, it's, it's too political. And I think the, the argument there is that ultimately Congress is the ultimate decider of what the Fed can and cannot do. And the Fed, I think, is actually pretty good at saying, you know, at, at adjusting once Congress passes a law. So what, in my opinion, in an ideal world, what the Fed would do is they would push as hard as they possibly can. In achieving stable prices and maximum employment, getting you know, in both of those collapse in in the midst of a crisis, they should push as hard as they possibly can, and then afterwards, or even in the midst of, as soon as Congress thinks that the Fed has gone uh, has gone too far, then if they want to intervene and 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 pass Ooh. legislation that amends the the situation, uh, but I think in their interpretation, the Federal Reserve should always be should always be pushing that that those the the, the most important goals the goals of of you know maximum sustainable you know in uh employment and price stability have to be the have to be the most important goals in this like if you're putting them in a hierarchy as paul tucker likes to do those have Mm -hmm. to be for the fed the the most important and then Congress can adjust those or can, can admonish the Fed uh, or, and, and can change the law as they did uh, after the crisis if they felt like you know, that actually wasn't what they wanted.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. One, one of the other kind of critiques that I get frustrated by is sort of this 3D chess of, well, the Fed should, should do less now so that Congress yeah. doesn't yeah. intervene and, yeah. and mm-hmm. remove its powers in the future. Yeah. And it's like, well, the Fed has to use the legal authorities it has. It's not the Fed's job to, to sort of make Congress stay away. Congress is, is you know, Congress does its oversight, and, and I don't want Congress to go after thirteen three. but the Fed should do you know, what it's supposed to do based on the laws that govern it now. It shouldn't be playing this, well, let's think about the institution in 100 years and what Congress <laughs> might do to take away our power. Um, yeah. That's Congress's fault if they mess up and do that. Um, And and it's not something I want, or I I don't mean to sound callous about it, but to to do nothing, you know, is, is the worst of all worlds. I mean, you're essentially removing the power from yourself. um, You know, so then everybody loses at that
0: point. That's exactly right. And I think that, I think that that 3d chess argument often portends to be uh, looking out for the long-term future of the fed. But I think it's a, and we are definitely not going to talk about um, the filibuster here on this, on this, <laughs> on this, on this podcast. Um, but there are, there are veins of, of similar arguments about, uh, about this, which I feel pretty strongly about that in the long-term interest, you want the, the politically elected folks, the those in Congress to have some ownership on, on the decision. And so if, the Fed pushes hard. They push the boundaries. So it's like like just walk through very briefly what these three D, you know, this 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 argument warns against, which is the Fed pushes pushes pushes, um, and they end up maybe pushing too far in the eyes of Congress. So Congress restricts, uh, in, you know, very hard on maybe they, they curtail to an even more degree thirteen three than it already is. Then in the next crisis, because there will be a next crisis, they find that the Fed is is unable to react as 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 efficiently as they'd like, and then Congress can decide: Was it worth it? Was our last decision mm-hmm. to to restrict it? So I think that 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 argument that the the, the super long term the Fed has to be tiptoeing to preserve the the super long term vision of what or or goal of what the Fed or or, or you know institutional integrity. Uh, I just think it it's it even when it pretends to be in the best long term interest, I just don't think it is.
1: Right. And and that example you laid out paints exactly why, which is that, okay, we had two crises. In the first one, the Fed reacted strongly, and then Congress took away its power before the second one. And in the other scenario in which the Fed is you know tiptoes, it reacts strongly in zero crises. So it goes <laughs> 0 for 2 instead of 1 for 2. I mean, right. that's exactly right. the cost, right. Yeah. right? yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That, see, see, I think that's that's really important. I think he misses that both in this specific point and kind of the, the general tenor of this. Okay, so let's go to the, uh, to the last one here. He says, um, and this, isn't, this is a very interesting one. So he, he's saying that, what he says is he says, finally, having a separate entity will facilitate hiring the necessary people with the necessary expertise, which will likely be quite different from the expertise usually found in either the treasury uh, or the Federal Reserve. And I'm actually going to go on to the subpart that he includes here. He says, in particular, the types of personnel and expertise required to work out troubled loans made with government credit support are very different from the personnel and expertise widely available at the Fed and Treasury.
1: Yeah, Um, (laughs) I I have a lot of thoughts Uh, on this one. Yeah, one is that, um, you know, whether you do this at the Fed or in Congress or, you know, it's a terrible idea to try to be hiring people during a crisis to work this stuff out, right? I mean, yeah. think of how long it takes to get a background check and to, yeah. to get forms through and to even find these people. I mean, this was a problem for the FDIC, I remember, in 09. And because you know they, they were going into so many banks, they just didn't have the personnel for it. They didn't have a, a crisis-level staffing. Um, so, you know, in an ideal world, you have these people through the cycle, uh, but I get why that doesn't work right? I mean they're sitting on their hands for, for 70 years until there's another financial <laughs> crisis. you know yeah. it, it sort of doesn't work, but uh, it's not clear it's definitely not clear that Congress or any other entity can hire in a crisis better than the Fed uh, and Treasury. That's one. Two is you know for all the scandals over BlackRock and whatever, the Fed has ways to sort of sort of shop this out. Yeah. Uh, to different entities in a crisis. And and I think that's really the way, realistically speaking, that the Fed can sort of keep this stuff operational outside of crisis. Like they can't have a thousand person division that's only activated when there's a financial <laughs> crisis, yeah. uh, you know, and plays minesweeper the rest of the time. But they can sort of have these channels of communication open. They can, um, you know, sort of sort of war game this kind of stuff. Um, and and have ways to to staff up and outsource more quickly. Uh, And I also just want to say Section 13.3 of the Federal Reserve Act allows the Fed to, and I'm quoting now, discount for any participant in any program or facility. That very clearly establishes a role for the Fed to lend to all nature of entities and folks. Um, it, It just simply is the Fed's job to think creatively about how to lend uh, beyond its regular counterparties. Uh, I also want to say it, it, it was somewhat interesting, uh, he, sort of near this part of the speech, he cites uh, sort of a, a well-known paper, The Political Origins of Section 133," uh, hmm. by Pari Sastry, who was then at the New York Fed. And, and he, he cites her to talk about uh, the RFC, but I, I'm looking at, literally her abstract now. And she says, uh, leads the author to conclude that the section's original framers meant to endow the Fed with the ability to lend directly to the real economy in an emergency. Uh, you know, that's one of, that's her main conclusion. Uh, and, and and Coral sort of cites a different part of it. And, and she even, um, she has a good line from uh, the minutes some, some, uh, sorry, I'm I'm looking right at it right now. She so she is, uh, has some good uh, statement from Governor Meyer in 1932, in in which she says, uh, the, or which kind of references Governor Meyer saying the administration of 133 involves a new kind of banking, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, to take care of the business, which may come to them as a result of the amendment, the banks should, and this is the Federal Reserve Banks, should, if necessary, add to their forces men experienced in granting commercial <laughs> bank loans. Uh, you know, I mean, it's clearly part of the purview of the authority. Lend to any participant. Uh, that does not mean use the discount window. That means be prepared to lend to, to, to me and you and, and to, yep. to, to any small business. And this was a, a little bit of a, uh, a critique I had of the Fed, or at least some of the praise that the Fed got early in 2020, which was, wow, they're, you know, they're being so swift. Um, and I almost felt bad for Bernanke. I'm like, you know, the, the stuff they're doing <laughs> swiftly is stuff they pulled off the shelf from 2008. Yep. You know, they, they, they just rolled out the primary dealer credit facility, the commercial paper funding facility before they even knew what was going on. Yep. Um and the, the main street lending facility, the corporate bond purchases, these, these took months. Yep. And you know, that kind of, I, I was a little critical of that because like I said, thirteen three says discount for any participant, the fed's gotta be ready. It just, yeah. it just has to be quicker. It has to be ready to lend to, to all corners of the economy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, those are all just, just such important, important points. And I, and I think so that, so it goes to that, you know, that, that idea of that the fed truly is that is truly the feds the feds job and then yeah i think the just the fundamental premise that this could be done more quickly and efficiently by by congress uh is just seems just seems bizarre um mm-hmm. and 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 i think you're right I mean, you know and that kind of comes back to that you know that that line that you quoted there from the you know one of the last governors before the the Fed was kind of shaken up in the 30s, is is that spirit of the true spirit of Badgett's of Badgett's mm-hmm. book, right? That the 90% of the book is lend freely. Uh, that's that's what it's about. To this man, to that man, um, mm-hmm. and so you know that is that is something that has been a part of this uh, for a long time. So I think this, uh, you know, this speech was was fascinating and it was a a good and important read. And and I think Peter Conti Brown, uh, upon hearing of Quarles exit, it might have even been in response to this, tweeted something. You're actually quite a quite a long thread kind of praising Quarles for being willing to come out and and be really clear about what he thinks. uh, Defending his decisions in public and explaining his reasoning and kind of his process um, and then in this speech also kind of painting what he sees as the future. I think Steven and I both happen to find this, this painting of a future 13 three facility to, to be quite disturbing, uh, but we commend him for for laying it out there so that we can have this discussion. And so I think that's that's all the comments that I had on it. Stephen. I want to give you a last chance to add if you had anything uh, about about the speech.
1: Yeah, no, it's just definitely definitely interesting as sort of a uh, mic drop moment, right? He's clearly <laughs> kind of holding on to this. Cause like like you said, the rest of the rest of what he said was was pretty typical quarrels. Right. Um, and really just sort of a review of his tenure. And then this was like a half-baked like <laughs> reform proposal. Um you know that he was clearly just kind of biting his tongue on yeah Uh, Yeah. at a a number of points he says you know i thought this back then but we did this anyways (laughs) um so kind of bizarre i i i I don't know if that's a good or bad precedent that when when (laughs) when fed folks leave they just drop this kind of thing out of out of the blue Mm -hmm. um could be fun to watch uh but again you know troubling if it if it quite quite directly goes against the uh spirit of the law in some cases like kind of paints the bed in a legal light but oh. but uh, we shall see
0: yeah and there will be lots of opportunities to talk about this stuff and, and you know he uh he, he does uh leave the end of the speech by by referencing his his replacement who will have lots of lots of work to do and that could come out any any time now so we've got some exciting stuff lined out for lined up on the podcast for when that drops uh so we'll we'll we will wrap it there. Uh Stephen Kelly, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thanks, Caleb. A lot of fun.
0: Stephen is at Stephen Kelly49. As you know on Twitter, I am at Caleb Nygard. Uh subscribe and uh and pass along the show. And until next time, thanks for listening.